welcome ladies and gentlemen to the Film Club Podcast, where every week me and Miss Boo take turns picking films to watch and talk about. Some are good, some are bad, and some are brand new in this month's edition of the Film Club. So Boo, how are you? I'm good, and we're kicking off the second week of November, and yes, this we is are. my pick today, so we're going to be talking about the 2001 film Donnie Darko. Yeah, this is a interesting one, because like Giant last week, I've seen this movie before, but mm-hmm. you have never seen it. Yes. So I guess we'll start off with this. How did you hear about it? Is this something that you've known about for a long time you wanted to give it a watch, or is this picked it at random because the poster looked cool? No, this is something I've known about for a long time. I have just haven't had the opportunity to see it from beginning to end, so mm-hmm. that's why it kind of got shelved for me. And I figured since we're doing this theme for this month, why not watch it? And it just celebrated its 20th anniversary, I believe, a few weeks ago. Yeah, because it came out, I think, in October yeah. of 2001. Mm-hmm. And interesting, kind of kind of topical. It's kind of nice. Yeah, so I thought, let's give it a go. And I know my feelings on the movie, and I know your feelings prior to this episode, but yes. now that you've rewatched it, Has anything changed for you? Okay, I guess to give context, I saw this movie a long time ago when it had its first run on DVD. I had some older cousins who were, let's say, in the crowd of people who should love Donnie Darko. Yeah. And they're like, hey, we're going to watch this movie. And I watched it, and they are the worst people on the planet to watch movies with. Okay. Sorry. And I... Just didn't like it. I thought everybody was kind of assholes. Mm -hmm. Donnie didn't do anything for me. Mm -hmm. And I remember putting it away at like 10 or 11 and being like, I didn't like that movie. I'm okay. Yeah. Watching it now, I appreciate it more. I can see why people really dig it. Mm -hmm. Not my cup of tea. I'm surprised. Oh, everybody is. Every time somebody brings up Donnie Darko, they're like, this must be Dean's favorite movie. It's everything he likes in movies. And I'm like, fuck off no this movie is like fine i it's cool i like it it well i don't like it i enjoyed the last 30 minutes of the movie a lot more than the entire build-up of the movie why do i feel like this has been done by like an art house director you really would have been like wow genius extraordinaire maybe if it was done by a different director it would have had a cohesive theme and point but you know well, wow. I, we're we're going to get into that later, but I will say my opinions on the movie have changed and softened a lot on it. Okay. I don't hate it anymore. Wow. I just <laughs> don't love it. But I'm curious about you. What did you think? I ended up really liking it. Really? It wasn't what I anticipated it to be. Mm. And I really kind of liked that it was more on the line of like the butterfly effect yeah and that's how i felt watching it i'm like okay it feels like we're starting at the ending and we're kind of seeing us work our way to really the beginning it's very weird it's a very weird movie and i had to do a lot of research on it afterwards just to kind of put you know some of that those missing puzzle pieces together because i enjoy movies that make me think Mm -hmm. and this one really gets you going like you know well, why is this happening? You know, how is this connected? So it was. And you hated Eraserhead. I don't get it. Oh, Eraserhead was just so confusing until you explained it to me. Yeah. I mean, well, because you said you it wasn't what you expected. What did you expect? Because we talked about it in Giant that I built the whole movie off of the poster and yeah. it was completely wrong. Yeah. Did that happen to you with this film? 
Yeah, I've only seen stills, the posters. Um, I've never seen the trailer. Mm -hmm. I only watched the trailer, you know, prior to us recording this. And I, you know, I thought, okay, there's Frank the Rabbit. And I thought, okay, maybe Frank, you know, convinces Donnie to do, you know, terrible things to people. So it's going to be like Donnie's a sick kid and then, you know, progresses into maybe a murderer or something. And it's like, no, this is a completely different story. I mean, you were mildly correct because Frank is... This movie gets a little weird once we get into it. Yeah. But yeah, so going in, this is a better movie than you thought it was going to be? Oh, yeah. Even if it had been a thing where, you know, Donnie turns into a slasher and he's just going after everybody. You know, we love slasher movies here at the film club. Yeah. I would have thought that was cool, but, you know, I think this is cool that there's just little different elements that go into the story of Donnie Darko. I guess that's true. I have issue with the film just because it, I don't know, it just feels like the movie wasn't very, um, on a certain level, I don't think the movie was all the way fleshed out as much as it really needed to be but i mean i do notice there's really good things about the movie it's just, it, i guess it just doesn't resonate with me for some reason i mean there's even um a report that jake gyllenhaal and seth rogan who are in this movie said at the rap party they, they had, had no, no idea. idea what this movie meant yeah i saw that quote and i i enjoyed that quote yeah that's why i had to do you know a lot of research after because it's like okay i kind of have a grasp at what's going on but there's still a lot of unknown in this movie and then i guess there's like a director's cut or deleted scenes yeah to uh, make the movie even longer yeah yeah i guess we'll we'll finally get into the actual movie at hand where do you want to start uh let's start with the plot because i think if you guys haven't seen the movie you're gonna need a little bit more context of what's going on because even we're struggling so the movie begins on October 2nd, 1988 in Middlesex, Virginia, and the troubled teenager Donnie Darko has been experiencing bouts of sleepwalking, and in one of his episodes, he is led by a mysterious voice out of his home, and once outside, he meets a figure in a monstrous rabbit costume, whom Donnie refers to as Frank. Frank tells Donnie that the world will end in 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, and 12 seconds. Donnie wakes up the next morning on a local golf course and returns home to discover a jet engine has crashed into his bedroom. His older sister Elizabeth tells him the FAA has no idea where the engine came from. So, like, it opens kind really interestingly, right? Yeah, because before this even happens, we have Donnie waking up in the woods. Yeah. And... Or, no, he wakes up on, like, the street... He wakes up in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah, he wakes up, you know... On like a like a hiking path. Yeah. And we see him, you know, get back on his bike and travel into town. And it's not even like a thing of, how did I get here? It's like, oh shit, this happened again. Mm. And he goes home and his family's kind of like, oh, well, he's back. You know, whatever. And we get that, you know, message on the fridge, you know, where's Donnie? And, you know, once we get really into the movie later, it's kind of, you know, did Frank leave that message that's on the fridge? It's just... It's very weird. It was just like I didn't think it was that weird. He's a kid who has he's a kid who sleepwalks and just kind of wanders off. Honestly, my issue with the opening is that he's kind of a dick. He just calls his mom's mom a bitch. Yeah, that was like, pretty rough. And he's an upfront like asshole to like his entire family. And it's one of those things where I'm like, "Oh, I get it. He's, you know, the troubled teenager. He's, you know, rebelling or whatever." But I'm like 
bruh, can, can you not talk about, like, oral in front of your, like, ten-year-old sister? Can you, can you not? I, I get it. You're supposed to be edgy. Can you fucking not right now? And I was very surprised that uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal was cast in the movie. Yeah, well, I found out that she was cast because they needed a Jake Gyllenhaal's sister. They needed yeah. Donnie's sister. And uh, the casting agents were like, well, why don't we just cast his actual sister? She's yeah. cheap. But it was just, you know, weird because we see the younger sister first. So like, okay, you know, you've got, you know, the little girl with the blonde hair, the blue eyes, and you have Donnie, you know, with the dark hair. And he's, you know, kind of just his own, you know, like the black <laughs> sheep of the family. And I was like, oh shit, you know, Maggie Gyllenhaal's in this too. So it's like, okay, so we have, you know, an actual sibling, you know. Connection thing Connection going on. right here. So we're kind of seeing, you know, we have the older sister that's on her way to Harvard. We have the younger sister that's, you know, really. In, in a dance troupe. Yeah. yeah, she's really talented. And we kind of have Donnie who's misunderstood, but also really deep and artistic at the same time. I mean, I guess you could put it like that. Like. My thing with this setup is it's a really good setup because it sets up something really interesting. Mm -hmm. This kid, he has this vision while he's sleepwalking. Yeah. And an outside force tells him the world's going to end. And when he comes back, oh, something like destroyed my house. And if it weren't for this outside force, I'd be dead right now. Yeah. That's a really good setup to like a Twilight Zone style episode or... Or, like, a really interesting sci-fi weird story. Like, yeah. I like that kind of fiction. It's yeah. really cool. It's just Donnie the character? I didn't think they did well enough to make me want to follow him in the opening. Mm-hmm. I understand Donnie as a character, but my takeaway of the opening however long is, man, Donnie's kind of an asshole. That was, like, my takeaway. Yeah, and, you know, hearing him tell his parents... I don't want to be on medication. I don't want to do this. It's like, okay, I can understand why he's being a dick. You know, you're a teenager. You have whatever issues. You have to be, you know, heavily medicated. You have to go talk to a therapist however many times a week. Yeah, that would be frustrating when your siblings are carrying on in their own lives with, you know, really no worries, no fuss. But let's move on to the rest of this plot. So the next thing that happens that's of any major importance is over the next several days, Donnie continues to have visions of Frank. Yeah. His parents consult with his psychiatrist, Dr. Thurman. She believes he is detached from reality and that his visions of Frank are daylight hallucinations due to paranoid schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Donnie also meets a girl named Gretchen Ross. Later, Donnie goes to a clearing and shoots bottles with his friends who, while there spot a seemingly senile old woman who stands in the road in front of her house and is almost run over. The old woman is nicknamed Grandma Death by the locals. She stands on the road every day, checks her empty mailbox, and despite that, she never receives any mail. This is where it gets like really Twin Peaksy all of a sudden with Grandma Death. Yeah, because we see Grandma Death the first time when Donnie's dad is taking him to, to treatment. Yeah. And they almost run her over, and that's when she whispers into his ear. And it's interesting to see her again later when they're shooting the guns. And it's just, she's like on a constant loop of going Mm. back and forth to check the mailbox. And it's just like, I like that they really evolved her story from being like the crazy old lady that lives up in the hills to really kind of having a deep connection into this. Into the story at hand, yeah. Into the story, but also this alternate universe that we're in. Yeah, I thought the Grandma Death stuff was, was interesting because there is an effort 
for like world building. Like mm-hmm. there's people in this town, they're trying to make it feel lived in. Some people have these weird quirky personalities and you know, things like that. Yeah. And there's also an interesting thing with the psychiatrist when she brings up, oh, these visions of Frank's are hallucinations. Yeah. Donnie is probably a paranoid schizophrenic and he's he's seeing visions. Yeah. Which is an interesting setup to the movie where now you're questioning is anything Donnie's seeing real? Mm-hmm. Is he is he insane? Is any of this real? And since we're seeing the movie mostly through Donnie's point of view, then it makes a really interesting case of like the unreliable narrator yeah and i love stories like that i love stories where we're in a character's like singular perspective and it's and it's like unreliable and the world itself is kind of this weird amalgamation of things that don't make perfect sense but mm-hmm. make sense because the world is kind of off yeah and that's like grandma death grandma death is somebody who doesn't make sense in real life but makes sense in the context of a very weird like world weird movie yeah but you know we're still in the setup mode yeah at first we set up the characters and the premise of the story yeah now we're setting up like the world that's going on and we also get introduced to the bullies seth rogan and his and his buddy yeah and i'm i'm gonna be real with you those bullies are so one note they're a dial tone yeah like they're pretty sad yeah well it's not it's not even the fact that oh they're sad it's just seth rogan what is your character in this film? He's like, I'm the bully. What is your bully's name? I don't need one. I'm the bully. Like, they're that... Like, I know nothing about them other than they're assholes. Yeah. They have, they have zero depth. They're just dudes. And they show up a couple of times throughout the movie. And I'm like, can can we get anything here? No. Just, are they in the baseball team? Or are they just, like, you know, metalheads? Do they do anything other than fuck with donnie the whole time no because i mean more or less in this film all we see is everything from donnie's perspective yeah so we're in this alternate universe where nothing's really happening i guess unless donnie's in the scene kind of that's a lot of what the movie feels like where i i know they ma- they're making an effort to make the world feel like lived in yeah it's like oh the characters and whatnot but it does feel like if donnie's not in the scene the world stops when he's not around yeah have you ever i don't i know you've never played like rpgs like um D or anything like yeah. that but that's a thing a lot of D players make comments about oh if me the player is not in the town when we leave the town it just goes into stasis mm-hmm. and then when we come back the innkeeper is in the exact same spot he was when we left yeah in game like 10 hours later and that's kind of how this starts to feel about with those characters in particular and also with the teachers yeah we're gonna get to those in a second because we're about to talk about all the teacher stuff the subplot here yeah so the gym teacher and christian fundamentalist kitty farmer attributes a recent act of vandalism that flooded the school to the influence of the short story the destructors assigned by the dedicated English teacher, Karen Pomery. Kitty begins teaching attitude lessons, taken from local motivational speaker, Jim Cunningham. But Donnie rebels against these, leading to friction between Kitty and Rose, who both have young daughters in the same dance troupe. And I know that's a small little blurb I just read out, Mm -hmm. but that's like the whole B-plot of the fucking movie. Yeah. It's like the dance troupe, the teachers, the, the fact that, there's this weird motivational speaker that has a 
L. Ron Hubbard like effect on some of the like on the school. Yeah. Which is weird. And also we have Drew Barrymore as the wokest English teacher I have ever seen in <laughs> cinema, who is also arguably one of the worst English teachers I've ever seen in cinema. I look, thought she was pretty badass. Look, I'm, I'm putting you like this. Say, say you go to a new school, yeah, right? Brand new school, walk in, and you're just like, hey, you know, I just got transferred here. Uh, where do I sit? And she's like, sit next to whoever you think is the cutest boy. And then, no matter where you sit, you're going to get ragged on for the rest of the year. You know how people say, oh, that's... You shouldn't put kids on blast like that, you know? Oh, hers the thing. She does that to this bitch on the first day of school. Yeah. First day. Granted, she sits next to, you to know... To Donnie. To Donnie, Jake Gyllenhaal. And I will argue, yes, he was the cutest boy in that room. Exactly. Obviously. But then it's like, now you're making all the other boys feel bad. Terrible. Terrible. But it wouldn't go with the plot that this alternate universe is, you know, surrounding Donnie. <sighs> Everything surrounds Donnie. Exactly. It is interesting how Donnie has perfect main character syndrome, where he's like, he's always the smartest guy in the room, like the new hot girl really likes him, his teachers are like, super cool, and when they're people who like, step out of line, he can like, shout them down, because he's like, the smartest guy in the room. Fucking, like, people hate Superman, but they don't hate Donnie Darko, what the fuck? What the fuck's this Mary Sue bullshit? Who hates Superman? Everyone hates Superman, except what? me, basically. No, no. People are like, oh, he's too perfect, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, Superman's too perfect, but the multi-millionaire that runs around in a bat suit and beats up poor people, totally fine. Cool. Okay, but so let's get back to our back, back to this, yeah. Yes. So they do bring up the PTA meeting, yeah. that there's huge friction between Kitty Farmer, the gym teacher, the Christian yeah. lady, and everyone else at that school. Yeah. She is that parent, right? She is, yeah. She's just so upset about this book that they're reading. Um, it's not even a book. It's a short story. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of the name of the I, short story. I, I just said it. It's, it's The Destructors. I have read it. Oh, okay. There. She's just kind of running wild with, oh my god, you know, the school is vandalized because, you know, this teacher here is telling the kids basically to do that. And it's just like, no, not really. But, okay, we're going to see you just continuing your crusade with patrick swayze who is just fight the fear just love everybody (laughs) i honestly i know people give patrick swayze some shit sometimes because he was in a some not great movies but he's great in this movie because he's the slimiest car salesman i've ever seen did you know that his costumes in the movie were his clothes from the 80s yes i thought that was amazing he was like oh this is a low budget picture when's it supposed to take place oh don't worry i got you and it's, it doesn't, you know, it takes Donnie finally saying something towards the end of the movie where everyone cheers for him because he just calls out Patrick Swayze on his crap. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, are they cheering because he's the center of the universe and it's finally like, okay, you got one right, all right, cool, right. you you pass this level, okay, on to the next. Yeah, it's one of those things where it 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 is also a thing where it sets up that conflict between Kitty and, and Donnie's mom, Rose. Yeah. Because that's another point where we do see that Donnie is kind of this agent of change or agent of chaos. He's he's shaking up the the normality of the world that they're in, right? Mm-hmm. And Kitty represents this very like again, she's a fundamentalist. She's 
everything should be the old ways of blah, blah, blah. But again, I keep going back to the fact that it might just be a thing where, like, Drew Barrymore just does not seem like an English teacher to me. Nah, she doesn't seem like an English teacher, but I love her. She's badass, and without her... This movie wouldn't have been made. No, I was very surprised to see that her and her studio backed this movie. I have an interesting whole spiel about the making of this movie, and also why it didn't do well. Well, we're going to get to that, because that's a a really long talking point, because it's going to be interesting. Okay, so where do you want to jump to next after this? The rest of the movie. (laughs) All right, let's do that. All right, so moving on, the next part of this is Frank... Ask Donnie, who in turn asks his science teacher, Dr. Kenneth Monatoff, if he believes in time travel. Monatoff gives Donnie some information on the topic, but later cuts their session short out of fear for losing his job. But not before giving Donnie the philosophy of time travel, a book written by Grandma Death. Later, while watching football, Donnie notices bubbly columns emerging from the chest of the people around him. And that shows Donnie where the person will move matching illustrations from Sparrow's book. A bubble appears on his chest, and he follows it to his parents' closet, where he finds and takes a gun. So This is where it gets weird, right? So is it Monotov, is it his fear that he's going to lose his job, or is it the universe stopping him from revealing all the answers to Donnie? I believe it's the fact Monotov realizes halfway through these conversations that, oh, this kid isn't curious. He thinks God is telling him time travel is real. But we're also in an alternate universe. I don't know if we are. I don't know if this is not just Donnie going crazy. No, from what I've read, we're in an alternate universe. That's fine. Whatever so, you read, I can interpret it however I want. No, I think I he's know. crazy. I, I know. think Donnie's batshit. But from what I've read, we're in an alternate universe, and they're kind of like giving him the clues to get back to the plane crashing through the house, or mm-hmm. the, the jet propeller. So it's like he's trying to, he gets like little clues here and there and there from everybody in the town to kind of bring him back to the very beginning. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's nice and all, but in the context of the movie, I think he's crazy. If you want to re, if you like, after you finish the entire film, go back, rewatch it, and you watch it a few times, take notes. Yeah, you can come to that conclusion. In a first run of this, I think Donnie is either crazy like he's actually a schizophrenic Mm. and he's not and he's not aware of his actions or he is somebody who is having a very vivid fever dream and then he dies and this is like his body soul or his purgatory his brain he's trying to process like the concept of death or it's the fact the universe is like okay here's this person this troubled person whatever blah, blah blah shines shines a kind eye onto Donnie and is like, okay, you're going to die, but we give you this tangential thing to exist in to where you get to be the center of the center of the world. You get to be right about everything. Mm-hmm. You get to you get the girl of your dreams. You get to do all the things, blah blah blah, blah that you always wanted to do. Yeah. And then afterwards it's like you've achieved what you have. You had twenty eight days, blah blah blah. Now it is time for you to go home. Yeah. And the other thing, it's like, it also takes place around Halloween, you know, Mm -hmm. Day of the Dead, where, you know, the spirit world and the real world is supposed to become closer together. There's a lot of random things that can explain what's going on. Yeah. The alternate universe theory, that's a fine way to explain it. There's a lot of ways to explain it. Mm -hmm. I like to think Donnie is crazy. Yeah, because, I mean, before I, you know, found out about, like, the alternate universe or, you know, kind of got confirmation, I really thought this was purgatory. I'm like, okay, 
That, so, that was my favorite one for a long time. Yeah, I'm like, okay, so he didn't survive it, and this is just his soul's way of kind of going through the stages of grief and accepting you didn't make it. Yeah. And there's a great scene where he's talking to his therapist, and she brings up, you know, him and his beliefs in God, and he's just, you know, I've looked for him, I've tried to find him, I've accepted the fact I'm just alone. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it felt like that part, you know, we're kind of getting to the breaking point where... Maybe he's really just hit his rock bottom and eventually he's going to accept it. And now we get more action in the movie. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of that point in the movie where the movie just lays all its cards on the table. Yeah. We are now know we are, sorry. We now know we're dealing with time travel. Mm -hmm. We're not, we now know we're dealing with something going on where, oh, they're able to like, Donnie's able to see the future, kind of, but it's a predeterministic future. And and that's what he struggles with, that we're not really making our decisions. Someone else is making our decisions for us, and we're kind of being pulled on that path. Yeah. And it's the other thing where Donnie is like, well, I if I follow the if I follow the path, then I can I have a power to see the future. Mm-hmm. But if I veer off that path, what happens? And then it's the whole thing where it's like, well, that creates tangential timelines and blah, blah, blah. It gets really weird after that. I really but, like the the spears coming out of the chest and kind of just pulling people to like, you know, we see it with his dad and his friends. You know, he gets up to go grab a beer and he kind of has this look on his face like, how did I get here at the fridge? And then like Donnie, you know, his spear appears and it takes him to the gun. Mm-hmm. And the gun plays, you know, a pivotal part in the climax of the movie. Yeah. And this is where the movie really sets up everything else that's going to happen. And on that note, here's everything else that's going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Or at least the next bit. Yeah. So Kitty arranges for Cunningham to speak at the school assembly, where Donnie insults him while offering his own advice to the other children, who had voiced their fears to Cunningham. He later finds Cunningham's wallet and address, and while on a date with Gretchen at the local cinema, Donnie envisions Frank with one of his eyes shot out. Frank suggests Donnie sets Cunningham's house on fire, which he does. Firefighters discovered a horde of child pornography there. Cunningham is arrested, and Kitty, who wishes to testify in his defense, asks Rose to take her place as the chaperone for her daughter's dance troupe mm-hmm. and their trip to Los Angeles. So yeah, this is where the movie starts getting uh, heavy, you know. Yeah. And also, uh, we get to see Donnie tell a bunch of kids, like, well, if you don't want your sister to be fat, tell her to, to get off her fucking ass and run. You know, you want to learn how to fight? Stop being a fat fuck. And this is where the edgy teenager comes out. Yeah. Where he's just like, I know more than that. I'm the smartest guy in the room. That's, that's where that happens. But that's the kind of advice that you would give. You'd be like, you get your head out of the toilet bowl and, you know, kick that guy in the nuts. Uh, if, you know, your sister's fat, tell her to go run. And if you're afraid about not knowing what your career is going to be in the like in the future... We're all afraid. We have no idea what we're going to do in the future. I'm way nicer than Donnie. I'm <laughs> way nicer than Donnie. Yeah, I might give those answers to people if they're like, I keep giving them like, you know, the nicer constructive answers and they just keep like, no, that's not working and keep pestering me. Like, yeah, I might snap and tell them it's like, all right, then just stop being a fucking fat ass. But Donnie is like, yo, I'm just going to, I'm going to open with the hard shit. I'm going to open with like just the, just the closers and just fucking try and slay the audience. Like, that's what he's opening with. Well, he's also got a movie, so, you know, we gotta, you know, continue 
with the timeline of the movie. We don't have enough time to kind of bicker and banter. He's just like, you know what? I'm going to give it to you. One, two, three, boom. I'm out to the next scene. Right. And which the next scene, that's the theater thing we were talking yeah. about. And it's an interesting scene. It's composed really interestingly. Mm-hmm. It's spooky. Like, this is where it gets, like, really creepy because empty movie theaters for me are just weird. Yeah, they're a little on the creepy side. We've gone to plenty of uh, screenings where it's either been us and maybe a couple more people, and that's about it. Yeah. It's just, it's odd. It's he, it's eerie. Yeah, it's very eerie. Me and, um, me and my brother, Randy, we went to go see The Lighthouse, and that's what it was like. We sat down, and we were the only people in the theater. Yeah. And it was so weird, and it was so unsettling, and yeah. I love that movie. The Lighthouse is great. Um, but yeah, and it's just one of those things where this section of the movie, we're kind of getting the setup and seeing the power that Donnie kind of holds. He's also this person, he's also this kid who we now realize is like an untouchable. He We now know he's main character. He just breaks into this guy's house, sets it on fire. No one seems to care or notice. What I think is creepy. He's, and he's just justified. Yeah. Immediately. What I think is creepy is, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal, kudos to him. Uh, he made sure not to really blink a lot in the movie to make yeah. him, you know, seem, you know, creepier. But also his face whenever Frank appears. He's just like, you know, you know, kind of melancholy look. And then when Frank appears, he kind of gets that, you know, weird e- giddy look. That, that evil gleam in his eye. And it's just like, you know, he's not really afraid of Frank. He's loving, you know, the go burn his house down. He's, he's All right, just say loving, no more. He's loving the excuse to just be the asshole to be mischievous and it's interesting i i am coming around on that it's just the thing where man i wish danny was out of his ass sometimes because he is way to fuck up there donnie yeah i wish both of them were out of their ass (laughs) like way to fuck up there i swear to god he's it might just be a thing i just i just have a natural aversion to the edgy kid who thinks he's the toughest, or thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. I just have an aversion to that on, Maybe. like, principle. I don't know. But, as it goes, with Rose and Donnie's little sister Samantha in Los Angeles, and Eddie away for business, Donnie and Elizabeth hold a Halloween costume party to celebrate Elizabeth's acceptance to Harvard. At the party, Gretchen arrives, and it is implied that Donnie and her have sex. Yeah. Which means he breaks the three rules of don't have sex, don't drink, and don't do drugs, which he does in the movie. So it's kind of like he's rebelling against the rules that he shouldn't do because he's trying to, you know, kind of fight this path to the world's going to end on this day. And I mean, we even see like the gravitational pull once we hit midnight of, you know, the end of days for him where he drops to his knees in the kitchen. Yes. I was just gonna make. I was just making a comment that Donnie Gretchen banged, but it, yeah, as it goes, <laughs> uh, when Donnie realizes that Frank's uh, prophesized end of the world is only hours away, he takes Gretchen and his two friends to find Grandma Death, and instead he finds the two high school bullies, Seth Rogen and his buddy Ricky, who fight Donnie in the road in front of Grandma Death's house. But Donnie's two friends fucking bail because they're a bunch of pussies. And Gretchen is killed by a oncoming car. The driver is Elizabeth's boyfriend, Frank, wearing the same rabbit costume that Donnie's seen in his visions. And Donnie shoots him in the eye with his father's stolen gun and walks home, carrying a dead Gretchen. Is that her boyfriend? 
Yeah, that's what it's uh, set up for in the movie. Really? Like, in the beginning of the movie, when she comes home, like, super early in the morning, like, 6 a.m., she's leaving out of Frank's car. But we actually see Frank's uh, Trans Am when Donnie's coming home from the very first time he sleepwalks. Yeah, yeah, that's the first time we see Frank's car. It's implied that Frank, even though he's a character that has, up to this point, only really existed in Visions, Mm -hmm. is a part of Donnie's life in some way, which is kind of why I like, or I lean into Donnie's kind of crazy conspiracy, because Mm -hmm. it's kind of a thing where, oh, the guy in the rabbit costume, Frank, and Frank is his sister's boyfriend mm-hmm. who he never really sees he just knows the name and is like he just associates this frank character onto this thing this unknowable being like her boyfriend yeah to donnie he's just this unknowable guy who just kind of exists in the world yeah because even when uh her when his parents are talking to the therapist the therapist is like hey you know donnie has a new friend right and they're like oh really like yeah frank the bunny and even they're like you know frank who's frank so it's like does Frank, you know, really exist? I think Frank exists. He probably just exists as, oh, it's it's the boyfriend that, you know, they don't want to tell anybody about because he's, oh, he's he's the bad boy. He drives a Trans Am. He's probably like... The boyfriend they haven't met. The boyfriend they haven't met. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've all been there. But, uh, you know. And I think it's just interesting, you know, when we see, really see Frank for the first time when he takes his mask off in the theater... And, you know, his eyes really damaged. and Yeah, he's like a bullet hole. And Donnie's like, you know, what happened to you? And he, what does he say? Like, you know, you know, or you kind of know, or you'll see. Something something very cryptic. I think it, I think it's like, you'll see, or you'll yeah. find out. Yeah. Which is an interesting, like, foreshadowing thing. It's a little... I, I think that's not handled super subtly, but I don't think it really wants to be subtle. Yeah. It just wants to be like, yo... Donnie's gonna fucking kill somebody, guys. Hold on. It's gonna be great. I know you got another hour of this. Just hold on, guys. It's gonna get better. And when we do have that, like, interaction, it's interesting, but it seems like Donnie is, like, a million miles away, and he's just doing this because, well, the spheres are telling me to do it, man. Mm -hmm. You know, time is telling me to do it. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's, It's an interesting, like, climax of the movie the rest of this is like the falling action and then us finally getting the grand quote-unquote reveal of what's going on in the world Mm -hmm. which i think the ending of this movie just kind of revs the engine up but doesn't let you get off the starting line i just not a huge fan of the ending because it's like we've been setting up to this big cool shit and it's like nah the other, like, two hours you watched, nah, that shit didn't matter. Well, I mean, we're kind of, you know, again, that pulls more to this alternate universe where he's kind of correcting the things that have gone wrong in this, you know, alternate world he's living in. So he's kind of figured out towards the end, this really isn't happening. And he's like, look, Gretchen gets killed by Frank. He kills Frank. And he's like, okay, I could bring both of these people back by essentially having myself die and take, you know, place, you know, take uh, the place for the two of them so they can live a normal life. Well, yeah, I get the whole, it's a wonderful world kind of thing where, Mm, oh, a wonderful life. Or Sorry, it's a wonderful life kind of thing where, oh, if I, if I live, then people die because of me, Mm -hmm. even though I might do like some good, you know, catch, you know, a pedo guy. 
but oh, if I die, then these people live and blah, blah, blah. And it, it really puts Donnie in the center of the universe here. Mm -hmm. And this is where he kind of, he reaches the end of that journey and then he has to kind of decide what he's going to do. Yeah. But in the theatrical cut, it doesn't really imply it's a choice. Mm -hmm. It's just, now it happens. Because, okay, here here's the ending of the movie, everyone. Spoilers? I guess, I guess yeah. we, we've been, we're, we're really far in. Yeah. So, Donnie returns home as a vortex forms over his house. He watches as the plane carrying Rose and the dance troupe from Los Angeles gets caught in the vortex, which rips apart and catches one of the engines. And events of the previous 28 days rewind. Donnie wakes up in his bedroom, recognizes the date as October 2nd, and laughs as the jet engine falls into his bedroom, crushing him. Around town, those whose lives Donnie would have touched wake up from troubled dreams. Gretchen, who in this timeline has never met Donnie, bikes by the Darko home the next morning and learns of his death. She and Rose exchange a glance and wave as if they knew each other, but cannot remember why. So it basically implies the entire rest of the movie just didn't matter. No, it's more of a thing where... Um, from what I've read, Donnie's, like, considered a receiver because he's able to kind of, you know, live on the other side and live here. And it's the same as, um, Grandma Death, where she's kind of the same kind of person, too, and she's survived it. Yeah, she so, can see both sides of this. And Yeah, so it could have been a thing where when he, you know, he wakes up and he's in his bed and he laughs because, you know, today's the day it's going to happen. He could have just gotten up and walked out of his room, let the thing crash. And everyone would have lived, including himself. But I, I think he was just kind of like, I'm done. You know, I, I can't do this anymore. And he just... Well, that's the thing with, like, grandma death, right? Yeah. You know, if Donnie got up and lived, then he would just repeat the loop. Mm -hmm. Like grandma death, yeah. he just repeats the loop over and over yeah. again. My assumption with grandma death is, you know, she's somebody who, well, if I just repeat, I'm repeating this loop over and over again because, you know, I want to die. And the only way I know how I die is how I get hit by a car. Yeah. Or whatever. Like, that's her predeterministic, like, yeah. death. But with Donnie, I feel like he, when he wakes up, he become he becomes aware what happened beforehand was not real. Also, the thing where the engine falls through the ceiling and we have this re repetition of the shots and everything from the beginning and it kind of plays out again and the ending but now we have a new context and all this other mm -hmm. things i think the ending is well done i don't know for some reason the ending just makes me feel cold it i yeah. feel like okay donnie now has died but all him but him being an agent of chaos and an agent of change now is irrelevant because yes the alternate timeline because the alternate timeline has ceased to exist yeah you know, that, that loop is closed. Yeah. And now the mainstream timeline that they're in now has a child predator free. They're still going to have the plane crash with the with his sister on it, presumably. And there's there's a whole other sh like strewn of things. It's like it's the butterfly effect, like you said earlier, yeah. where because Donnie's no longer part of the world, the implications for the world that he now left behind is a net negative or, or from what i was reading i think there's deleted scenes where 
um, Patrick Swayze's character still ends up getting caught for the child pornography ring. And I think he he commits suicide to kind of like get himself out of it. Well, yeah, but and, that's that's bringing in things that are not in the in the theatrical cut that yeah, we watched. Yeah. And I understand that because, you know, there is a director's cut. It adds a lot of content yeah. and it kind of ties in all the issues I may have with this film. But again, I watched the theatrical cut. I watched yeah. the one that was released to the masses. See, that's the thing. We never know, but we do know some things that I can extrapolate because we've seen this is a time travel movie. Yeah. It's a whole thing where everything is like a predeterministic like set of things going mm-hmm. on. And Donnie being a part of a world where he wasn't supposed to be a part of because yeah. he was supposed to die, but due to some outside universal mystic force, he that is pulled him, you know, away from danger. Pulled him away from danger. Now he can see the he can see the matrix, basically. And, yeah, and then he can, you know, put a stop to it and change it. It really sucks because I there are chunks of this movie I really dig, mm-hmm. but there's like the the big glaring like aversion lights for me that just pull me right out of it. It's I think it's like the setup of like Donnie as a character. I'm not a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. There's you know the bullies and a couple other people like all the like his sister, his sisters are pretty one note. They don't have real personality they are conduits for donnie to talk to that's 99 percent of people in this movie yeah they are they are objects for donnie to talk to yeah they don't have a lot of depth or anything like that and the other end of that is the ending just makes me kind of i just i'm just cold to it i don't feel bad for donnie i don't feel good for him no i don't really feel anything for anyone particularly i mean i feel I mean, I can see his mom is, like, having this existential, like, crisis in Gretchen Waves. And they when his mom and Gretchen wave at each other, that's the closest I get to being, like, man, that's that kind of sucks. Yeah. But then again, I'm like, yeah, but that's all the the emotion I can muster at the end of this. I don't really feel anything at the end. Did did this actually hit you at all? Or were you, like, meh, lukewarm to it? No, I knew it was going to happen. So it's like, yeah, you know, you feel bad that he dies, but he died for the greater good. He died to bring Gretchen back. He gra- to stop the world from ending. Basically. So it's like, you know, yeah, he kind of walked out of this movie being the hero. So it's like, yeah, you know, I feel sorry for him. And I feel sorry that he was struggling from a lot of, you know, mental issues. You know, he really didn't get to to live, mm-hmm. you know, just carefree and normally. But... In a sense, he did get to live because he got to fall in love. He got to, you know, kind of be a teenager and, you know, really live out some crazy fantasies. He got, yeah, he, that's why I think the purgatory thing where he got to experience life, the, he got to experience life, you know, he died er, early and suddenly. So the universe threw him a bone and they let him experience life yeah. where Honestly, it's kind of a power fantasy. Yeah. You're you're the kid, and you're now the most important person in the world, because you're going to stop the world from ending in 28 days. Yeah. You are going to meet the this girl who's going to be the love of your life. You're going to lose your virginity. You're going to um, be able to bring a criminal to justice. You're going to be, like, vandalize the school and get away with mm-hmm. it. You're going to do all these things, you know? Mm-hmm. You're going to save a life, and you're going to kill somebody, and all, all this shit. But, but ultimately, you have to come home at the end of this adventure. Exactly. And once he comes home, 
then it's like, oh, okay, you know, looking at it in the perspective where this is a story about the universe throwing a kid a bone, yeah. then it takes on a different context. Like, oh, no, that's actually kind of a, kind of a nice, like, idea. Yeah. You know, life is fucking hard, but every once in a while the universe is going to throw you a bone. That's but now weird. I'm like, why Donnie, though? He's kind of a shit. I don't know. It. I keep going back to that. Like, I love Jake Gyllenhaal's performance in this. Jake Gyllenhaal as an actor in yes. this is great. The character he's playing, I just kind of rub up against, like, sandpaper. I'm just mm-hmm. not into him. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. Yes. All right, Boo, so where do you want to go from here? Let's talk about the music in this movie. You mean the one song that you that you and everyone else has memed to death? The only song in this movie <laughs> and the reason why it has still remained noteworthy at all in popular culture? I mean, who doesn't love Mad World? I don't. Those Come songs on, whiny it's as so sh- great. I had a good childhood. That song's whiny as fuck. <sighs> but it's a great meme. And it was also used unironically for Gears of War 3. I'm good. I'm fine. But it's so much fun. And it really It's so depressing. It really works with that scene too. Because it ties in with, you know, everybody waking up to when Donnie dies. Yeah. And it's like this shift in the universe and you know, you're kind of panning over the people and they're either crying or it's just like they know something happened. Yeah, I mean it don't be wrong, it's used well in the movie, but I'm also in the camp that that song is the only reason this movie has maintained a footing in popular culture i might just be being an asshole but i don't think i'm wrong so Uh, it's a great song um it was also weird when i watched it because i just watched it you know the night before we recorded your friend thomas goes on instagram you know on his stories and he puts this thing out and he's like Hey, is it just me or did did it feel like there was like a shift in the universe? And I looked at this right after I watched the movie and I'm like, what the fuck? It's real. It's happening. And it's just like, I don't know how. I think it's just like one of those, you know, cosmic coincidences, but I don't know. It made the the movie feel more real, more fun. So weird. (sighs) But I also really like the score too, because they keep it very simple. Yeah. They also use a lot of like pop songs and stuff. Mm -hmm. I know there's... I think it's the opening when they're going into the school. Mm-hmm. There's a song that's playing on, and it kind of looks like a music video. Yeah. And a lot of people pointed that out, where it's like, bro, you're just shooting a music video. It's like, no, 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 it works perfectly for the for this scene, I swear. And then looking at it, I'm like, yeah, it works well for the scene. It also just looks like a music video. And also, why is that teenager snorting cocaine in the hallway? Because high school. Any way you gotta get through the day. So why is this kid snorting coke <laughs> openly in this? I school? don't know. Of course, of course. This was high school in the eighties. It was a different time. Ah, uh, it was a different time. Back instead of buying your dime bag of weed in between six period, you bought your eighth ball. And I mean, it was interesting to see like the like the eighties musicians that didn't give the rights over to their music. I think they wanted like Pet Shop Boys, Duran Duran. Yeah, they want because that's another thing. The movie takes place in the eighties, right? Yeah, it's like. 88 something like that yeah but a lot of the music like almost none of it sounds like it's from the 80s it's like early 90s music yeah and it's it sets this like out of like a little bit out of time yeah in that aspect and i don't know it's it's interesting the use of music in this movie is good i won't say it's bad 
But the use of music in this is like, okay, I can get behind this. Yeah, and it, it kind of goes with that, you know, angsty kind of teen feel that we get from this movie where these kids are in prep school and they really hate it. Oh, or oh a teenager hating school. Oh, always it, me. It's a revolutionary idea, I know. Who would have thought? Yeah, but I like the use of music in this film. Um, overall, what was your feel on the movie? Of the movie as a whole? As a whole. Um, I've been thinking about it because I remember last week and I remember kind of saying this near the beginning, at least I think I said it, I really had a low opinion of this movie. I gave it like a three out of ten. Well, I mean, you also watched it when you were like ten. Something like that, yeah. And the people who showed it to me, I will uh, say kindly, were not the best audience to watch movies with, especially this movie. So, it very much colored my opinion of the film. Watching it now, yeah, okay, it's not a three movie. It's not nearly that bad. It's a movie that I don't, I don't particularly vibe on. Mostly because I just, I can't really get behind Donnie as a character for a lot of it. He's just, he's just such an asshole. No offense to Jake Gyllenhaal, he's great in the movie. He's a great actor. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. But, you know, the character of Donnie Darko is just kind of a prick. So, I would say this is definitely like a five six kind of movie average maybe a little bit above average in some points but there's some things in the movie that i can't ignore (laughs) as being like all right you're a little up your own ass even for my taste like calm the fuck down like a book up an ass he shoved a book up up my my anus anus. so bad great scene i mean to the point where the director almost had to walk off set because the scene just got him i mean come on you know that's good writing when you have to leave your own movie god but um, I'm assuming you had a very high opinion of this movie. I really liked it. I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, I mean, of course, I felt, you know, super sad for Donnie at the end when he he dies in place of, you know, bringing back Gretchen and Frank and making the world a better place. Um, I mean, I even feel bad, like, prior to when his mom leaves, you know, to go on the flight. And he goes, oh, you know... You're sorry you're going to miss your, what does he say, your loony son or your crazy son. And she's just kind of like, be like, I love you regardless. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's sad. It's a sad movie, but it's also a trip and it's fun. So scale of one to ten. I'll go seven. Seven? Seven. De- definitely in the above average category. Above average, because it really makes you think. You kind of have to piece it together because it's like, what's going on? I, you know, I just because I've seen the movie before, so I'm like, I, I got it. I, but I, I respect that opinion. This is definitely a movie I feel if you vibe on it, you really vibe on it. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I think it's just a thing. I approached the film and I just couldn't get behind it all that much. No, I really liked it. I thought, you know, Frank the Rabbit was really cool. It's a cool design. Cool design. Very iconic. There's a lot of places that. You can't not see it, especially, like, with, you know, artists that, you know, do stickers and other sorts of things. You always see Frank appear in some form. hmm But, overall, for me, I would recommend this movie. Well, yeah, I mean, teach their own. I, I respect your opinion, even if I don't agree with it. I mean, we but... usually don't agree with each other's opinions, but next week. Next week. 
What are we going to be talking about for your pick? Well, next week, we're going to be talking about a movie that stars one Gene Kelly, and that's going to be An American in Paris. It's a musical from 1950s. It's a movie that I've been interested in, and I'm really excited because it's got Jerry the Mouse in it from Tom and Jerry, and him and Gene Kelly do a dance thing. That's the only thing I know about the movie. Uh, Wait. Should I break your heart now or later? Are you serious? It's not the right movie? I'm sorry, it's not. Son of a bitch. All around me are familiar faces. And you're over here saying, oh no, that song's so played out. It's a it, meme. It it's such works. a meme. It works in present day. But yeah, everybody. So we're going to be watching An American in Paris, whatever that movie is, because now I have no idea what it's about or what even it is. But if you wanted to find that or follow us or whatever, where can they go? Well, if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and we're also on YouTube. Yes, we are. You can go to our YouTube channel, In The Frame, (laughs) where you can find this podcast, the Film Club Podcast, as well as our other podcast, the Film Odyssey Podcast, where me and my brother talk about some of the greatest films of all time on the AFI Top 100 list. We see if they still hold up. Are they any good? Are there still bangers on that list? And uh, spoiler alert, there are a few great ones. Oh, and also, I guess, housekeeping announcement. We are slowing down some uploads on the YouTube channel because I was uploading a lot of videos to catch up with our current releases. So we're still releasing new content. Don't worry. It's just the release schedule slowed down a little bit because our back catalog emptied out. But more coming along. And with us here at the Film Club, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we are continuing with our weekly uploads on Thursdays. And with that, we'll see you next week at the Film Club. Have a great week, everyone. 